Good morning. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and I'm so glad you're here. This summer, we have been working through a preaching series on suffering. We've entitled it, Hope in Suffering, How the Gospel Transforms Our Suffering. And so we're continuing in that this morning. And I just want to do a quick kind of recap of where we've been. We started out in this series talking about Christ and his suffering on our behalf, that we as believers have a gospel, a message with suffering at its heart. Christ enters in to our suffering to forgive and cleanse us from our sins. From there, we talked about the fact that God has purposes for us that are often higher than just relieving our pain and suffering. That sometimes God's answer to our prayer to relieve us from suffering is no, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So God has purposes that are higher than relieving our suffering. We also then talked about the fact that sometimes we suffer because we are doing what's right. We suffer for righteousness' sake. When we obey God, when we do what he asks us to do, when we proclaim the gospel, often we suffer for doing righteousness. And then last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes, though, we also suffer because of the consequences of our own evil deeds. And so sometimes we suffer for those reasons. But today, we're going to talk about how we should go through suffering as Christians. So I'm really glad that you're here this morning as we worship the Lord and as we hear from his word, because I think this is something that most of us can relate to. If you haven't gone through a period of suffering, if you aren't currently going through a period of suffering, you definitely will experience suffering. And so this is a message for you. If you haven't gotten a chance to hear those previous messages, I'd encourage you to go to our website. You can check those out and get caught up on that. But today we're going to talk about how we go through suffering as believers. And as we do that, I want to start by sharing Karen's story with you. I have to say, this is a true story. Uh, Karen was a member of the church that I was a part of, and after having just routine, normal um, dental surgery, she developed severe pain in her jaw, just almost crippling pain. Lots of doctor's appointments, lots of tests, lots of medications, lots of procedures, and nothing would touch the pain that she experienced. It was so severe. Uh, To give you a sense of the severity of it, she was in so much pain that she basically just sat in a dimly lit room and any kind of sound would just amplify the pain. So her husband and her teenage son, when they would come and be with her, they would basically have to whisper because anything above that would be so excruciating. In fact, they actually had to move Because this pain continued for so long, they had to move from their house because where their house was situated, the traffic going down the road in front of their house, just that vibration would cause so much pain for her that it was almost unbearable, so they ended up moving. As I said, Karen was a member of our church. She was a believer in Jesus Christ, and she went through this terrible suffering. And sadly... There's more to relate of Karen's story. One winter day, it was a a bad snowstorm. You needed about six inches of snow. Roads were bad. And Karen's husband was killed tragically in a car accident. 
leaving her and her teenage son in that grief. And still, her suffering through all of that pain. That's Karen's story. I don't know what your specific story is, but as one of your pastors here, I know some of you, I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you have gone through or are going through some tremendous suffering. So what do we do with that? What consolation is there for Karen and for others who go through these kinds of suffering? What does the gospel say to that? If we're having a series called How the Gospel Transforms Our Suffering, what can we say to that? And that's what we want to explore together. When we're in the thick of it, how should we go through suffering as Christians? As believers in Jesus Christ, what do we do in the midst of this kind of affliction? Well, the answers, of course, to these questions come from God's Word. So if you would turn with me, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I'm just going to read this for us, and then we'll work through it together. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, what does God have to say to us about how we endure suffering as believers? The first thing that I want to draw our attention to is that when we go through suffering, we should keep coming back to the gospel. In the midst of affliction, remember, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have peace With God. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, Paul starts here with the gospel. This is the foundation of everything that he's going to say about suffering. It's the gospel. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. And then he goes on to say, we have peace with God. Now, just stop there for a second. And if we read through those verses and we think about it over and over again, but stop there and meditate on that for a second. In Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, through his justification, we have peace with God. We're not at war with God And God is not at war with us. That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, not everyone has peace with God. That's the implication of this. Not everyone has peace with God. Only those who have been justified by faith. 
That's what he says. Since we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. If that is not true of us, then we do not have peace with God. We have not been declared righteous by trusting in Christ's atoning death and resurrection. But if you're a believer, that's what it means to be a believer. You have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So if you are a believer, you have peace with God. If you're not, whether you know it or not, you're at war with God. You're in open rebellion against him. But the message is for those of us in Christ who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God. Again, this is the starting point of what everything that Paul is going to say flows out of this. This is the gospel. This is the message of the good news that Christ has died for us. And he says that we, through him, through Jesus Christ, we've also ab- obtained access, again, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. So we stand in grace. What is this salvation that we have? Grace is unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God has given it to us. That's the reality in which we stand. And praise God for that. Because we can stand in that because if it's a gift of God's grace, it's not dependent upon my performance. And I can stand in that. We've obtained access. Then he goes on to say in verse 2, So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is an interesting word, to rejoice. It could also be translated to boast. And when we hear boast, we think, oh, that's a bad thing. Like boasting is a negative thing. This is not a negative term. Rejoicing or boasting, it's talking about having satisfaction in something. You're just satisfied in something. You exult in something. You delight in something. I'll give you an example of this that I think maybe would help. Uh, I think an example of this rejoicing, this delighting, this finding satisfaction is new grandparents. When somebody's a first-time grandparent or a new grandparent, they delight in, they exult in, they rejoice in that grandbaby. Like if you ever see them holding that grandchild, that smile on their face, if you ask them, you know, oh, how's your new grandbaby? They're going to pull out the phone and all the pictures because they're delighting in it. That's the picture. So delighting in what? Here, here, it's not in your grandchildren. Here, it's delighting in the hope of the glory of God, which we have through this faith in Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God, and we have this delight in the hope that's coming. Now, this word rejoice or delight that we're talking about here, that also comes up in verse 3. So we're going to get to that in a minute. So just hold that in your mind. It's the same, same word, same concept. And here we have the word hope. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, again, this is another word. You kind of read it. You go, hope. Okay, I know what hope is. But we have to take some time to look at it and understand it from a biblical perspective. Now, hope in the Bible is not like you would say, oh, man, I hope my team is good this year. Which, and as we all know, right, it generally turns out to be a disappointment, right? We, can all, we could all spend hours talking about that. Right? Uh, I hope they're good. That's not what this is. In biblical terms, that's not what hope is. Hope in Scripture is expectation or anticipation. 
So if you want to jot that down, if you're like a notes person, you can note that. When you read hope in Scripture, it's not, I hope this happens, but it probably won't. It's expectation and anticipation. You know it's going to happen. You're just waiting for it with expectation. Now, I have an example of this, too. If you're one of these people, you know who you are. Okay, it's July now. We passed the 4th of July. So there's those people out there who are now starting, and they're going to say, it's 165 days till Christmas. If, you know, if you're one of those people, you know who you are. If you're one of your friends or family is one of those people, you know who you are. And probably somebody after this is going to say, hey, pastor, actually, it's like 168 or whatever it is. Because you know. That is biblical hope. Because it's expectation and anticipation. You're, count, you're not like, well, I, yeah, are we going to have Christmas this year? Is that going to happen? I don't know. No, we know it's going to happen, so you're expecting it. You're anticipating it. You're counting it down. Now, we can do that with Christmas because we know how many days it is. As believers, we don't know when the time is going to come. We, don't, we can't have a countdown to when we're going to experience this glory of God. But we know it's coming. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. That is biblical hope. We have hope of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean, the glory of God? What is this talking about? Now, it could be talking about the fact that God is glorified. That's how we often use it, you know, that God would be glorified. But here, I think what it's referring to is actually us Those who stand in the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, those who are believers in Jesus, we have this hope, this anticipation and expectation that we will experience the glory of God. We will join in with the glory of God. Now, that's another amazing thing to think about. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and we'll experience his glory. I want to turn... A couple of chapters forward in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 8. Some beautiful, amazing, just wonderful verses of scripture. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, and then we'll go through, through 25. Paul writing just a little bit ahead. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, humility, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there you have another example of the glory. But this is the children of God experiencing the glory of God. We will be glorified with God. Now notice in chapter 8, it's also in the context of suffering. In fact, it's interesting, in both of these passages, he uses it plural, sufferings. We don't usually use it that way, but he's talking about all the different types of suffering that we can experience. And through that, we have this expectation. So we're going to come back to that passage in a bit and talk some more about it. 
But even creation is groaning in anticipation, longing and waiting. So in this period, we're groaning. We ourselves in our suffering are groaning, waiting for what's to come with that expectation. And what is the foundation of it? What is the basis of it? Where does he start? If we go back to chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the foundation. That's where we start. So if you are, you're going through that suffering, you I don't know if I can face another day of this, what do we do? Go back to that gospel message. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid. You have peace with God. You have hope of glory that's sure to come. Just a few minutes ago, we sang that beautiful song, God, You're So Good. And there's that tremendous lyric that I love, which says, And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever. Calvary, that place where Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God. In the midst of our sufferings, we need to keep coming back to the gospel. Now, maybe you know this already, maybe you don't, but we have to realize the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, is not just for when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ. It's not just for that initial moment. The gospel is for every moment of your life as we walk in him, especially those moments of suffering. Come back to the gospel. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing when we're facing suffering. Keep coming back to the gospel. Keep coming back to the gospel. The second thing this passage has to say to us is that when we go through suffering, we should rejoice in the outcome. In the midst of affliction, remember that you will not be disappointed. Look at verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So verse 3, this is the part where if it was like, you know, a movie track or something, you'd hear like the, the um, uh, there'd be like the scratch, the record scratch, like, wait a second, I can get rejoicing in the hope of glory. What I don't get is he says, but also we rejoice in our sufferings. And you're like, wait a second, hold up. Did you actually mean that? Is that what you're actually saying? And yes, it is. And notice, as I mentioned before, it's the same word we talked about before in verse 2. To rejoice. To delight in. Delight, exult in our sufferings? I mean, really, do you know what we go through? We're supposed to rejoice in this? It's a little odd. Is it okay that we acknowledge that? Sometimes we read Scripture, and it seems odd to us. The reason for that is not because Scripture is odd. It's because I'm odd. My thoughts are not right. And so when we recognize and say, i got to get in line with this. So why? Why does he say, why should we rejoice in suffering? Well, he gives the reason. 
The why is, what does he say there? Knowing that. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that. So this rejoicing in our sufferings is based on what we know to be true. What we know is true. And that's important because what it's saying is that this understanding, this rejoicing comes from the truth that we know. It's not that we should just like kind of try to grow to have this love for suffering. Like, oh, I just, I just love to suffer for suffering's sake. That's not what this is saying. It's not that we should pursue suffering. In fact, we're actually going to, uh, Pastor Nick's going to uh, share a message on that idea. Should we just try to suffer? Is that what we should do? No. But we rejoice knowing something. What do we know? It's about bringing the truth to bear onto our situation. And what he says here is we know the outcome. We can rejoice in suffering in the midst of it because we know what the outcome is going to be. And the first thing he says is because suffering produces endurance. Endurance. The root for this word is the word to remain. Something that stays through the midst of challenges. It's like a rock on the shore and the waves come and batter it and it just gets blasted. But it's still there. I hope that our tent that we had outside has remained. I can't see it so I don't know. We'll find out. Did it stay? Did it endure through the storm that just passed through? So suffering produces that kind of endurance. We remain. And then verse 4, it says, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So what are we talking about there? Some translations put it proven character. This is character that has stood the test. Now, that's kind of somewhat redundant to say proven character, because if it's not proven, it's not character. It's just aspiration. It's just ideas. It's just we think, well, I hope that's the case. But when your character has been put to the test, gone through the storm, met the challenge, and stood the test, then it's character. Then it's proven that it's shown to be real. So when you face chronic pain, trusting in God even when tomorrow does not bring relief. Or when you face ongoing hardship because of the sins of other people. You know, I know so many people who have been sinned against in such grievous way. I know people who've had family members murdered. I know people who have been raped. I know people who've been abused. I know all of these situations, as you do too. And yet in that hardship and in that loss, and they're still dealing with the effects of somebody else's sin on them, they're still trusting in God and can sing that song, God, you're still good. That's proven character that has stood the test through the storm. That's part of what suffering produces. So endurance produces proven character. Can I just ask, do you want to have proven character? Do you want to have character that will stand the test? And you're going to have to face suffering. You're going to have to go through the test. And then proven character brings hope. Hope, it's the same word as we talked about before. Remember, hope is expectation, anticipation. 
Judges, I hope this is going to, this is hope. I know it's going to happen. Once you go through that test, you experience it. Now you have that hope, that assurance, that anticipation. You're looking forward to what God is going to do. And then verse 5, we have this chain. It produces hope, anticipation, expectation. And then verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Again, because it's based on the gospel. If it's just like, you know, I hope that it's nice outside, I might be put to shame. But if I hope in God because of uh, the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, I will not be put to shame. Now, being put to shame is the guy who gets the forehead tattoo that his team is going to win the championship this year before the season has started. And what happens? They lose. And then he's put to shame. That's being put to shame. We will not be like that. We will not be put to shame. We will not be disappointed. Karen, who I shared her story at the beginning of this message, will not be put to shame for bearing all of that suffering and all of that grief for, through all of that hardship and trusting in God. When the outcome is revealed, she will not be put to shame. And neither will you if you trust in Jesus Christ through your suffering. If you lose your job for standing up for your convictions, if you get screamed at for sharing the gospel, if you get ridiculed by your family for going to church, whatever it is that you may face, no one will say at the end that that was a waste of time or it wasn't worth it. And I don't say those things lightly because I know some of the situations that you face and have faced. But it's what God's word says. Let's go back to Romans 8 for a second. Romans eight eighteen. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. Now maybe you say, well, yeah, Paul can say that. That's who he was a slouch. He lived a posh life. He never had any hardships at all, right? Wrong. I mean, we're going through the book of Acts, right? Uh, that would give us a hint. Or we could look at what he just kind of lists a few of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He lists some of his kind of you know, resume of things that have happened to him. And you know some of these things. They've been, he's had challenges. He had people that put him down for different things. They, they preach the gospel out of jealousy. And look what he writes here, if I can get to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. This is what he says. He says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at the sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights. Anybody amen that one? In hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul knows what suffering is. 
And he says, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. You know what that means? That means when the resurrection comes, when we stand in glory with God, if God said to us, would you go through it all over again? We would all say immediately and without hesitation, yes, definitely. The sufferings that we face are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. Now we have to note here in chapter 5 that this is also not just a victimhood. It's not like we just go through and say, yeah, that's right. I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. I'm just going to talk about how great they are. I'm going to be like, look at me. My sufferings are better than yours. You know, I've gone through so much more than you have. I'm the worst victim of all. That's not what he's talking about. Because the focus is on the outcome. Rejoice in suffering because of what it brings. But we also have to realize it's also not just a pragmatic argument. It's not just that he's saying, well, you know, you'll learn something from it. So that makes it all right. It's not just like my mom used to say when I'd complain about anything. You know, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take the garbage out. I don't have to go through this. And my mom would always say, it builds character. I don't know if anybody else heard that. I heard that a lot. It is that. Paul is saying that. That there's character that stood the test, but there's more to it. Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, rejoice in your suffering because it builds character. He doesn't stop at proven character. Proven character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. The point is, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be put to shame. And I can say that because I'm not saying it on my authority. It's God's word that's saying it to you. You won't be put to shame. Now think about what is it that we think when we think about Easter and we're celebrating Easter and we say something is empty. We're celebrating the empty tomb. Right? The tomb was empty because Jesus was resurrected. His body was in there. He was dead. And then three days later, he was alive. Now think about this. If you are in Christ... Realize that one day, your grave will be empty too. That's what the gospel means. So one day we'll die and we'll be in our grave, but one day Christ will come back and your grave will be empty too. Look to the outcome of our faith. You won't be put to shame for what you suffer. And I don't know what all you've been through, but I can say you won't be disappointed. And I think we would do well as Christians to remind each other of this. When we suffer, as we prepare to go through suffering, as we're talking to people who are going through suffering, if you're in Christ, one day your grave will be empty. Look to the outcome. So, always go back to the gospel. Rejoice in the outcome. And lastly, when we go through suffering, we should find confidence in the presence of God. Look at the last part of verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. So he gives the reason. Why do we have that hope? Why are we not going to be put to shame? Because God's love has been poured into us. And that word poured out, it means in a large quantity. 
like the rain was falling down when you came in here. God's love has been poured out like that on us, into our hearts. How much more close and intimate does it get than our heart? The love of God has been poured into your hearts. And then he goes on to say, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, another statement in this rich passage that we could just meditate on all day. The Holy Spirit, who is God himself, present at creation, has been given to you. And he's with you in Christ. So if you're going through it and you feel like you're drowning in the ocean of suffering. Maybe you came in today and you think, I wasn't even sure I'd be able to get up this morning. I wasn't even sure I'd be able to get in the doors. I can't even think about tomorrow. I don't know what, I, what tomorrow is going to face or what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know if I can face it. If you're drowning in the ocean of suffering, hold on to this. God is with you. And maybe he'll answer that prayer and maybe he'll lift you out, but maybe he won't. The hope is not in the fact that maybe tomorrow the, the, the suffering will go away. The hope is that when you're drowning in that ocean, God has jumped into it with you and he says, I am with you in the storm. Take confidence in the presence of God. So if you're, if you're in it, if you're facing that suffering... Remember the gospel. Always come back to the gospel. You have peace with God. Rejoice in the outcome, what it's producing for you, the purpose of it, and find confidence that God is right there with you in the storm. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And should this life bring suffering, but we will remember what Calvary has bought for us, both now and forever. We thank you for Jesus Christ, for the redemption that we have, the redemption of our bodies, the forgiveness of sin, the hope of glory. Father, help us in these things. And I pray for anybody here who's listening, anybody who's just really deeply going through it, Lord, would you strengthen them and you encourage them. We just thank you that you have purpose for us and you guide us. And Lord, as we transition now, as we're, we're moving to, to a groundbreaking and dedicating this to you, Lord, the, the things that we face, the challenges we face as a congregation, would we too find that hope in you and look to you and look to the gospel and be reminded that we are a community of people whose sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, we have a hope and we have a future, and whatever suffering we may face, would we as a church rejoice in that as we worship you? Lord, to your glory, we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.